0: Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis, and this is episode 61. Today, I'm talking with Alex Korczynski. Alex is someone I've actually known for quite a long time. We met first in, geez, I believe in middle school when I was growing up in Santa Barbara, and have stayed close while our careers have taken very different paths. One thing in particular that has brought us together is that we are both jumpers and in this conversation with Alex we talk about jumping in a lot of different contexts Uh, one would be jumping when you feel unhappy and what that means to take a chance to move things to change the happiness factor even if that means making less money Uh, jumping even if what you're jumping from was your dream Alex had started a company he always wanted to be an entrepreneur and owner of his own business he ended up leaving that taking a jump from it And then the power of journaling for reflection, which I think is really important and goes to this other point we talked about, which is how to embrace change. So Alex talks about all of that and more. And so with that, I'm going to take you right into our conversation on the When to Jump podcast. Alex Korczynski, thank you so much for joining me on the When to Jump podcast. Of
1: course. Thanks for having
0: me. So... I want to get right to it. We've known each other for a long time. You have made several different types of jumps, which we'll get into at some point. But you're also a voracious reader and someone that I go to when I myself haven't maybe read the books that I'd like to or they're still on my bookshelf or my nightstand. And I know you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about uh, people's careers and people that have lived interesting lives and have pushed themselves and have remained curious. So you know, for those of us who have that stack of books they want to get to but haven't yet Gotten through them. What would be your take if you were to take a, a through line and string it past all the different things you've read and continue to read and and look up around you know curious
1: interesting people? Why do people jump? I think people jump. I mean, the book that comes to mind immediately for me is a book by Seth Godin called The Dip. That the subtext of the book is the little book that teaches you when to quit and when to stick. And my thinking is that people jump. When they're in an area that they are not contributing as much as they can. Or they're persistent in an area that, that's worth sticking out. And I think it's when you're uniquely good at something. When you're passionate in that area. And then when you can sustain yourself financially. Um, I think at least those are the three things that I've noticed in terms of a pattern.
0: Interesting. Uniquely good at something. Passionate about it. And you can sustain yourself financially.
1: Yes. I think those three are things that you need if you're going to really undertake the effort to take a jump, because it's a lot of work.
0: That's so interesting, because I, I, we haven't talked about this before we went on live here, but those three, I think, map pretty closely to you know what we talk about in the book and on, in the community around kind of, okay, uniquely good, that's kind of the pre-jump practice uh, part or even before that having a little voice having that passion for something that you know that won't go away totally. then you've got to be good at it and then you've got to plan financially to make it happen it sounds like those map actually pretty closely to the jump curve
1: totally i mean let's be honest too i read your book so i'm, I'm familiar with it i'm sure i'm i'm sure i'm thinking of that as i'm giving that answer but uh that sounds pretty spot on to what i think what makes a jump stick at least
0: Do you think, though, that and we hear about this a lot on the show and people write in all the time with these types of questions where it's it it kind of centers around, well, what if I don't know either of those first two pieces of what I'm uniquely good at? But more common is what am I passionate about? Do you have any thoughts on that? And maybe based on
1: your own experience? I mean, it's tricky questions. I've I've kind of been lucky that um, I felt I've felt that before. Uh, it's hard. It's been hard for me to describe to other people how to find their passion. Um, for me, a lot of finding what I was uniquely good at, as well as my passion, was trying a lot of stuff that didn't work. So my first job was in business development and sales right out of college, and like I hated it. And I saw my friends being really good at business development and doing well, and even some of my coworkers. And it, I really didn't like going to work and. I was young. I was 22 at the time, and that was a pretty big wake-up call that that life isn't for me. So, you know where I am now and uh, the jump that I'm making now. There's there's zero chance I could have predicted where I would be when I was 22. A lot of it was just figuring out things that were not working for me um, until I had a position in life where I actually like getting up in the morning and going to do what I what I want to do. And for me, that's as close to passion as I, as I can describe.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important part. It sounds like a lot of people would look at that type of job that you just described and say, well, what a mistake, what a what a waste of time. It sounds like what I always say is it's, it's just as important to figure out what you don't like doing than, than it is to find that one thing that
1: you love to do, right? Right. And then having the courage to admit that it's not right, because it can be really easy to be stuck or or to rationalize it by X, Y, Z, are going well. Like that company went on to be, like I was employee number 11. It went on to become a billion dollar company with like 600 employees. And two months in, I couldn't make it. But there's not, not a day goes by where I think like, man, that was the wrong move, not to stick that out. And so what did you do next from there? Uh, That was... um, 2011, uh, I started my own company actually. Um, So that was a massive jump for me. That's a dream I had since I was, I don't know, 14, 15 was to have my own company. Um, Long story short, I did some copywriting for for companies and uh, would do some marketing and online management. um, And then started doing some book marketing too. And that, it's funny, like now it seems like such a huge risk to go off and start my own company. At that time, I just I don't think I knew any better like I don't think I knew what was coming and I don't think I knew what would be difficult. It was just something I wanted to do and was able to financially make it happen um and we can get into this more, but the funny part about it was that you know a year into that I realized that I actually didn't really like it that this dream I'd had since I was fourteen was not something I wanted to keep doing.
0: do you think there was pressure? On you? Did you feel any pressure to keep going when you're doing something you, you felt like you are supposed to keep doing, like uh, like running a business that that was maybe from yourself because it was your dream as a kid and that's what you should be doing, or societal? Where especially in Silicon Valley, that's kind of seen as you know you know really um, you know, manifest destiny of sorts, right?
1: Right. I mean, I totally felt pressure. I felt pressure from myself. Um, I'm really lucky that my parents don't pressure me. Um, to plan my career. Um, they, they trust me to, to make decisions, which has been incredibly fortunate. And my friends have been really supportive as well. But I remember thinking at the time that like, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, this is what I'd always wanted. To run my own company is, is the dream I'd had when I was 12. Um, and I remember kind of there's definitely pressure working in San Francisco and Silicon Valley that like, that is the goal to have your own company, to be your own boss, to you know manage your own employees, like that's, that's the pinnacle of what you can reach. And I remember just feeling really unhappy over Thanksgiving break and really not wanting, you know, working on the day of Thanksgiving, working the day after Thanksgiving, um, just taking my dog for a walk with my mom and being depressed about where I was and telling her that I felt I lost my sense of humor. And if anything, the pressure had caused me to stay in longer than I should have. Um, but once I think I admitted to myself that, you know, this dream I had, it wasn't making me happy, and it also wasn't taking my career in a way that I wanted, um, it uh, it was very freeing to leave that. Like, the, the two best days I had in the early part of my career were, were when I incorporated my own company, and then when I decided to, you know, disintegrate the company
0: that's so interesting can you talk more about just the uh that sense of it doesn't get better than this and how does that fit within context of taking a jump because a lot of people feel like and we've talked about this millions of times before these ten thousand unsexy steps there's a difference between it being hard but worth it and then it being like just not that fun and not worth it right and, and then it's like why am i doing this but it can be hard to those two things can be hard to kind of distinguish right
1: Right. I think for me, what I realized was I was doing the same type of work a year and a half into my company that I was doing a year and a half before while still in college. And it was just, it was, I was starting to go through the motions of the type of work I had. I, it was really hard at the time to figure out, you know, we talked earlier about Seth Godin, when to quit and when to stick. Like if this was just, Another roadblock I had to push through to go to wherever I wanted to be. Um, I had I was working in a co-working space at the time and I had people who were much older than me and much more established. And at the time I had no concept of what was normal and what wasn't normal. And those were the people that really encouraged me to take a look at where I was and realize that the path that I was on was not one that I wanted to keep going on. So it it, it took some other people to to kind of hold up the mirror before I realized that I needed to move on to a different challenge.
0: That is such a good way to think about it is not just maybe answered at one dot on the longitudinal kind of timeline, but rather looking at yourself and charting it over time, whether you're using a journal or a diary or a calendar or whatever it may be and saying like, is this, is this changing? Is this kind of how it's going to be? And then you kind of say, can I project forward from the schedule? Uh, you know, I think that's when I think of writing the book, it was like lots of days just by myself at my kitchen table. If that was what it would always be like, I think I would be like, I don't want to jump to be a writer. I think I needed more people around. I needed community. But, uh, but it was important to say, is this, is this always going to be the case or is it just right now?
1: Right. And that's why I think having a journal is so valuable especially when you're making a jump is you can you can look at where you were a year ago or six months ago or three months ago and the problems you were struggling with and that's helped I've kept a journal every day for the last five years and that's helped me so much to recognize that like okay this is the exact same thing I was struggling with one year ago and nothing's changing and nothing's going to change like what am I going to do to change it
0: it's funny you say that. I didn't know that you had gone five years with a Daily Journal. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to the show before or you before, but I have three, yeah, three-ish years of of a Daily Journal. And, and I actually have the same exact feeling about it. it. It 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 represents the snapshot in time that otherwise you can kind of, I don't know, <laughs> your brain can do funny tricks on you and memory can kind of get blurry if you, uh, if you don't just put down exactly how you're feeling and, and be able to reflect. I think that's huge. That was one of the things I, I most grateful for the last few years is it both professionally, but also personally, right? Of how you think of where you are in your life and, and who you're spending your time with and relationships and all of that stuff.
1: Totally. Like, it's so good to recognize trends, to recognize um, problems. It's, I mean, beyond that, it's just a really good dumping ground for feelings and what's going on in the day um, and kind of allowing you to space to parse out what you're struggling with that day or what's going well or what you're grateful for. Um, and then, looking back, I mean it can be, it can be intoxicating sometimes. like I, I remember I was looking at back at this time last year before I, I made a jump, and the reason I looked back is, is because I, I was struggling with something that day i can 't remember what, what, what it was, and I was like, "Am I really better off than I was a year ago? And I looked back to the exact day a year before, and I was really struggling then, and the answer was so clear like, oh my god, i 'm so much more grateful for what I have now." because I can see how I was feeling a year ago with with what was coming. And if I had known where I would be, I'd be so much happier. So yeah, I think keeping a journal is is massively helpful when you're making a jump.
0: So that actually brings me to the next question for you. Talk a little bit about what the journaling did in your latest jump, and and maybe give some background there for for our listeners. I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so I was working at a a tech company called Scribd. it was as close to a corporate dream job as I was gonna get. I'd been there for four years. Every goal I'd set for myself I'd accomplished, and then some, like I, I'd gone way further than I thought I was going to. And throughout working at Script, I had this goofy side project where I would try these experiments for a month at a time to test my body or to expand my mind or to open my heart. And I wasn't a natural writer. Um, I studied applied mathematics in college, um, and it was only once I started actually writing down and committing to analyze what was happening to me with these experiments coincidentally around the same time that I started journaling on a daily basis that I realized that I might have something here that like this could be a book and I wrote you know I wrote in my spare time you know early mornings and and weekends um, and I made progress but I had a lot left to go and I knew that it was particularly hard for me because, unlike my first job where I was really unhappy, I actually quite liked this job. Like, I, I wasn't, I didn't want to escape this life that I didn't like. I actually quite liked my life and I did like my job a lot and my coworkers a lot and the work I was doing on a daily basis a lot. I just really wanted to do this thing. I wanted to write this book. So, I think around, around this time last year, um, I put together a plan for how I was going to do that. Um, and that's when things started happening. And then what happened next? So what happened next, um, I put together a spreadsheet of the finances I thought I'd need um, to support myself. Because like I'm not, you know, I like writing. I think you and I can both say that it's really hard to make a living as a writer. So I, I looked at how many chapters I had left to write. I thought about how long it would take. And by the way, it always takes longer than you're going to think. Like It takes significantly longer to make a jump than, than what you would anticipate at the outset. So the first thing I did was I got my finances in order. I started saving money. I really started cutting back on my spending. And I wrote. You know, I wrote every day. I wrote. On weekends, um, I would tell people I couldn't hang out because I, I had to get my writing done. And it became this sacred part of my, of my routine that I really, I really started kicking that part of it into high gear. So I think in January, I made the conclusion that I was gonna quit in the middle of May. I had this wedding coming up that was in Portugal and I was gonna take time off to finish writing. So that brings me up through about May. Um, I gave seven weeks notice at my job, mostly because, you know, I had a a meeting with my boss about our Q2 goals and then I just couldn't fake it anymore. I was like, you know, I got to be honest, like, I'm not going to be here for the end of Q2. Like, I'm going to take time off to travel and to write my book. And that's the moment when the jump became real. And, and that right before that was easily the scariest moment, I think, um,
0: I think on the show we talk a lot about, well, and then I quit and then it worked out and this and that. And it's like, well, what was it actually like? And what were those feelings that were kind of floating through your head? You know, what? how did you sit with them as as you took that major step and the door shut behind you, right?
1: Right. So there were, you know, there were obviously feelings of excitement, um, feelings that I wasn't going to, you know, diet. At- 35 not having fulfilled this dream. I really wanted to do like that. I was on the right track um, There was feeling of relief that I had Got this burden lifted that I that i had said out loud what I wanted in life There's also, you know a feeling of anxiety that I, I had traded this stable good life for one that was incredibly uncertain There was a feeling of sadness because all these people I worked with on a daily basis that I actually really liked and I wasn't gonna get to see them very much anymore um, I was apprehensive because who knows what's going to happen. Like, it's not like I was going to go leave to work at a hedge fund or, or you know be a lawyer or a job that has a predictable career path. I was leaving to to write, which has an incredibly unpredictable career path. There was a feeling of acceptance. I remember um, my boss, especially uh, when I when I talked to him. I think his his overarching statement to me was, good for you. Like, good job, man. That I'm I'm excited for you. And that was incredibly fulfilling and that was a feeling I got from a lot of my coworkers. Which made it even more sad because I was like, these people are the best people for for supporting me on following my dream, even if that means I'm gonna leave behind this company that I really loved working at. And it, like at the end of the day though, I, I think the overarching one was just it was there was some pride, there was some relief in that I I had finally achieved the means to do what I wanted to do for years, and that I was on a a new path, and that felt really exciting to me.
0: You know, I remember when I gave the notice, it was like this one door surely shut, but then the minute I got onto the plane, for me it was a plane, it was like, it's go time like this is this is it i'm in the zone did you feel that way going into something that's you know perhaps less climactic in terms of going to say hey I'm, I'm gonna go find a cafe and start you know writing full-time for now
1: yeah i i so there were two stages for me there was my last day of work was a friday and then i had a plane ticket to portugal on a sunday so on friday when i came home I, well i cried to my mom first of all like as as anyone really does like i you know i i was just really sad to leave behind my coworkers in this job that i liked um and then i spent the whole day of saturday packing like packing up my whole life into a closet um, cuz i was subletting my apartment and you know i had there were all these things people don't tell you about like i had to get my own health insurance i had to figure out if i wanted to buy my stock options like i had to get a lot of stuff sorted out in a very short amount of time and then i remember getting on the plane and I always get writing done on planes, like even though I have like my arms are super scrunched up against my side, like I always try to get writing done on planes. And that's when it felt exciting. Like that's, that's when I was like, oh my God, this is real. And like I felt this immense satisfaction on that plane that I it stopped being this fantasy and started becoming this reality. And I think from there, you know, A lot of that anxiety and fear subsided because no matter what was going to happen, I had done something that I wanted to do, and I'd made this jump that I wanted to make, and at least I could sit sit with myself with that. I, I could be content that you know when I'm looking back on my life that this is a change I made for myself, and and after that, you know, especially having the support from my parents, from my close friends, from my coworkers those feelings of fear and apprehension and anxiety kind of subsided because I knew I was on the right track.
0: Well, I think that brings up such a salient point in all of this, which you and I spoke of before we started this conversation, which was around how you can't not jump because you think things are just going to stay the same. And we laughed about a conversation that you and I had three years ago when I was on my buddy's couch, you know, sitting there trying to get when to jump off the ground and, and, was interviewing at firms, and the one that seemed like this quote unquote safe bet to go to this, you know, hot growing company, uh, you know, would later, just months later, have a massive round of layoffs. And you said to me, you know, that would have been you. <laughs> and so, yeah. that perceived safe route and the path you're supposed to go on, or rather, just not try to change, uh, ultimately would have forced the change, and not in the way I would have wanted. So, you know, everything's twenty twenty in hindsight, and, and it's not to say that those decisions are always super clear at the time, but it is important, I think, to take that initiative yourself and to not just say, well, I'm just going to keep going because, you know, this is the way I like my life because life will then undoubtedly change.
1: Right. Life's going to change it for you if you don't change it.
0: Yeah, it's what they say, like, the difference between you taking on life versus, like, life just happening to you. It's this accountability thing, right? Right. And I think it's important for people to remember that this isn't, you are jumping with the plan to jump back to something you were doing. Uh, you've been, you know, on your own now for many months since you left that company. But that this jump isn't forever. It's not like you are turning doors closed and and, and not, you know, ever looking back. You're, you you plan to, to jump again and, and go back to what you're doing, which I think is an important lesson, right? It's not all or nothing. And... You're able to kind of, I think, represent what the modern employee looks like, right? Which is you work, then you go maybe do your own thing. And you, you travel through Africa for many months. You're now finishing the proposal on a book idea. And then you'll, you, you'll end up, you know, potentially in the next several months back at a job that on paper is a stable, you know, company, right?
1: Right. And that was one thing I realized while I was doing this was I love writing for two hours a day. I hate writing for six hours a day. uh and that i just i know now that i'm gonna write for the rest of my life but i don't want it to be my sole focus because i've noticed that i'm i'm actually unhappy when i'm sitting there writing at my desk for four or six hours a day interesting um but i need i need the stimulation of of people i need to do work that that is not just writing and in fact i think it makes my writing better when i'm pressure to do it in a certain period of time each day as opposed to having the whole day to loaf it around and do it whenever I want. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go back and, and work at work another tech job doing something significantly different than what I was doing the last job, but still, you know, a still a traditional nine to five. And I'm I'm really happy about that. Like I'm really excited for it now. Um, and that's just not something I would have expected, you know, nine months ago. My goal was to write a book. And to know that no matter what's going to happen in two months, like I'm going to have a finished draft of a book that's 100,000 words done, feels super great. Like it doesn't really, I have goals other than just finishing the book, obviously. But for me, that's the one that feels the most gratifying that I've worked on this thing for four years and it's close to being done. Like it might not be perfect. It's going to be far from perfect. But to achieve this goal that I've, that I've wanted to do, that's that's what I'm at peace about. And that's why I know I can kind of do whatever I want with the rest of my career, that my two professional goals were to start my own company and to write a book. And I did the first one. I'm working on the second one. And it just means that I can enter my 30s kind of with the freedom to approach my career and not feeling chained down by these dreams I never accomplished. And
0: to those who aren't necessarily checking those boxes now or aren't in their late 20s or 30s, and are saying, well, you know, nice for you, but what, you know, what about me? And they, they might have a to-do list or not, or just be unhappy, and they're in their jobs. How do, how do you, what do you, what do you say to them? Is it too late? Do they have to start somewhere? What, what goes on?
1: No, of course not. I mean, the two things I use, the very simple rubric I use to evaluate happiness at my job is, am I still learning? Is question one. And question two is, do I have more good days than bad days? And if, The answer to the first one is I'm not still learning. And the answer to the second one is I actually have more bad days than good days. I would take a serious look at the job and the life that you have and wonder what could be different. And oftentimes, you know, a jump's not going to be a, it's, you're not going to solve all your problems by jumping to something new. Right. You know, I've been, my whole career I've, I've jumped from one position to another. And only now do I feel like I'm, like I'm getting close to the life that I actually want to live on on a daily basis, Um, like I'm still not there. Uh, The thing I would encourage people is that there's a lot more options than you think are there. You know, oftentimes things are are, that seem black and white are a lot grayer. You know, while I was at my last job, I actually went to part time for six months so I could work on my book Um, and that was a negotiation I had to go through. Um, And then I went back to full-time, and then I quit. Like, you know, a year later, I went through several stages of employment while at my last job. These things that seem black and white of, you know, this job isn't right for me, but this one is right for me. It's often a lot more gray. And I would just encourage people to at least live a life where they can go home and they're happy with the day that they've had, more often than not. Or if they're really having, if they're really struggling, at least they're learning a lot. It's going to help them later.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that people don't realize the bandwidth they have to kind of push the envelope and to start jumping while still in place. And I think that's a great term in a way to, to seek out the gray, find what that gray area is. I remember the, the same type of f- you know feeling, whether it was taking a day off to go play in a tournament while still at work or whatnot. You, you, I think the modern employee is more sought after, especially if you 're good at what you do, than you might realize or than companies and, and organizations might l- lend us to think so that makes a lot of sense totally and so can we end on what your what your book's about and maybe as it ties into jumping you know do you have any kind of final thoughts as you as you go forward with with what your book's going to be about and and maybe how that ties to what we 're talking about today
1: yeah, so my book's about um it's about personal experiments I tried in my twenties, and it actually starts with that first job I had in San Francisco that we talked about to start this, um, where I. I'd, I'd moved to San Francisco for a job and a girl, and then two months later, in the span of a week, the girl broke up with me. The job told me it wasn't working out, and I re- remember thinking like, "This is this really what adulthood is like?" But in that process, I was able to look at all the habits I had on a daily basis. And I realized that I had a really bad one, which was checking my ex-girlfriend's Facebook when I should have been working every day. Um, And one day, it was the fifth time I think I checked it that day, it was like 1 p.m. And I just remember thinking like, this is not normal, like you you need to stop this, you need to make a change. And within that moment, I just resolved not to check her Facebook for a month, you know, just a month to see what would happen. And it made me feel a lot better after that month had, had been finished. Uh, it was a huge step that got me over my first heartbreak. And then I thought about what other things could I change for a month. That led to a New Year's resolution where I gave up 12 things each month for a year. So everything from you know, no TV and movies, to transportation, um, to not checking Facebook, to not swearing. Um, and then I started getting more ambitious with the experiments. I. I did these 15 experiments where I would test my body or expand my mind or open my heart. And those 15 experiments form the basis of, a, of the book I'm working on now. So the working title is Test Tube 20s, 15 Experiments for the Body, Mind and Heart. And for me it's a lot about, it was discovering who I was um, as a person and the things that made me happy. I, I learned a lot about by grasping at these extremes of all these really difficult experiments what what my sensor was and ultimately was being comfortable with the person that I was um, and I'm just I'm really excited for to show it to people and to uh, to have this massive document that lives on my hard drive to <laughs> free it into the world
0: and if if there's a takeaway from the work so far in the book that you would give to others listening that they, they could take with them and uh, and maybe you know, apply to their own lives, what would you say you've learned?
1: I would say for me, it was to embrace change. And it's remarkable what a simple change could do. Um, For me, some of the changes were quite broad um, and quite extreme, but to prioritize learning and and curiosity and looking for the life that you want um, was such a fulfilling quest for me throughout throughout my 20s that I would hope that people recognize that we change as people and you can let change happen to you or you can change things and see what happens.
0: I love it. Alex Korczynski. thank you for joining me on the When to Jump podcast. This is, uh, this is right up uh, the alley for our community and I, uh, I'm grateful for you to be so uh, introspective and uh, honest with, with the jumps you've made, the ones that have worked, the ones that have didn't and, and the one you're on right now.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alex. You can find out more about Alex's journey through alexgivesup.com. That's alexgivesup.com. For more on us, you know where to find us. When to Jump is online at whentojump.com. We've also got a newsletter that comes out monthly that you can also sign up for from the website. Follow us at whentojump on social media. Send us your thoughts and comments because we love hearing from you. And if you've got a jump, that's also a very big point of interest for us. Please send them along. That's it for episode 61. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Mike Lewis, and I'll see you next week.